We're talking about the transforming power of God Almighty. By the world's standards, Winona Judge had it, Jad Judd had it all. You know what? She was missing one very important part, and she found it. Praise God for that. There's a lot of people in our sphere of influence that look like they have it all together. As far as we know, behind the scenes, they may not. You know without a doubt that those that you associate with, your sphere of influence, the people that you see on a daily or a weekly basis, do they have Jesus Christ in their heart? We're talking today about the transforming power of God Almighty, what he wants to do in the life of every single person. I mentioned a moment ago, but I'm praying that our church would have a broken heart for the lost like we've never had before. That every one of us, Father, would, would, would carry a burden for our, our fellow man. The people in our life to know without a doubt that they have heard the story of Jesus Christ. They've heard the greatest story ever told. Hey, our scripture today we're going to use, we're going to talk this morning about growing in Christ. Growing to the point when we have a broken heart for, for uh, the lost. It's going to come out of Second Peter chapter 3, verse 17. We're going to start there. I want you to know the Apostle Peter. Think about his life. He was found next to a fishing boat. Jesus Christ came down there, used his boat to preach for him. Then he told him to push out further. Didn't want to go, but he finally said, Okay, I'll do it, Jesus. You told me to, I'll do it. Pushed out, caught more fish than he ever caught before. Saw that there's something phenomenally different about Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ said, Hey, put down your nets. The biggest cast he's ever had, the biggest load he's ever had of fish. Drop it right there. Peter, follow me and I'll make you a fish of the men. He did it. That's where it all began. Then we remember his story all through life. And Peter had a big mouth. Peter was very bold. Peter had phenomenal gifts to use for the glory of God. When he got the Holy Spirit, he began using those gifts for God. Remember him walking on water? Remember Jesus Christ asking all the apostles, who do people think that I am? They were giving all the wrong answers. Jeremiah, Elijah, John the Baptist finally said, who do you think I am? Peter had the right answer. He says, you are Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus looked at Peter and says, you're exactly right. Upon this rock, that fact, and I am the Christ, you will build my church. Peter in the upper room, though, had a little overconfidence. He said, Jesus Christ was saying, they're going to crucify me. I'm going to die. You'll never die. I'll die first. I'll defend you. Jesus looked at Peter and said, you're going to deny me three times. Peter says, no way. You're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows three times in the morning. That happened. Peter denied Christ three times. It broke him. How could this be? The man that I knew was the Christ. The man that I knew was Messiah, God's son. How could I do that to him? All the things I saw. How could I deny this man I'd known all these years? Jesus Christ knew he was going to deny him. Jesus Christ knew that Peter needed to go through that time and be broken. Jesus Christ rose from the grave three days after that. Told those ladies that were at the tomb, hey, Go tell the apostles to come to Galilee and Peter too. Can you imagine when Peter heard that? He thought he was finished and done. After the night, Jesus Christ, he went out and wept. And now the ladies are saying, Jesus asked for me personally. Did he really? He said my name. He went. Jesus Christ restored Peter to who he was and who God intended him to be. I believe with all my heart. And listen to this. And, and when Ona kind of had that same story. I believe that Peter would not have been the apostle that he ended up being without being broken first. He needed to be broken and healed and brought back with Jesus Christ. And that happened. Now he was ready to be the apostle that God had called him out to be, ultimately giving his life for Christ. Remember how he died? Historians and theologians would tell you from history that he died upside down on a cross. He said, I'm not being worthy of crucified like Jesus was. Crucify me upside down. 
I don't know if you know this point. Historians would also tell you that he got crucified after his wife was crucified. Willing to give it all. So when Paul gives us these words we're going to read in just a moment, you've got to realize what's behind those words. A lifetime of growing with Jesus Christ. A lifetime of serving with Jesus Christ, but also a lifetime that ended by giving his life for Christ upside down upon that cross. And he's giving us his last words. Peter's writing these words from a Roman jail. Death is imminent. He's already been told he's going to die. You know, in other verses here in Peter, we see that he slept very peacefully. Isn't that awesome? You're going to die tomorrow. No problem. Went to sleep. Why? Because he knew where he's going. You kill me in my sleep, I know I'll wake up in heaven. You kill me, crucify me. The moment I die, I'll be in heaven. He understood. He'd grown to a point when he fully understood his faith. But if you found your way to Second Peter, verse 3, stand with me this morning, if you will, out of reverence respect to the reading of God's holy word. Second Peter, chapter 3, verse 17. You, therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware, lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the air of the wicked, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, may you bless the reading of your holy word. Father, speak to our hearts that every one of us would leave this place in just a little bit, desiring to have a hunger and thirst like never before for your word and for your righteousness. Father, but also, Lord, to have a hunger to grow in new ways this year. Father, this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. James Stewart, a New Testament professor in Edinburgh, Scotland, 200 years ago, said this. He says, Jesus Christ repeated himself in the main body of his dialogue more than 500 times. Jesus Christ repeated himself over and over. We said that's, that's logical because he spoke to a lot of people. No, he repeated himself to the very same audience, that audience of 12. Over and over and over again, Jesus Christ in the Bible, in the Holy Scripture here, what we have here, repeated himself more than 500 times to his apostles. Why? He wanted to make sure his apostles got it. He wanted to make sure they understood exactly why he was here and understood their mission and understood what they had. You know what? We have the same calling upon us to understand what God meant us to do. He gave us his holy word here where we can read it ourselves over 500 times the same things. At what point do we understand, okay, Jesus Christ is serious about this. Jesus Christ wants us to know. Peter was getting ready to die. You guys have seen enough movies, maybe even been in the presence of people. I have where they're getting ready to die. They want to make sure that their last words are remembered. They want to make sure they tell people that are close to them things of importance to them. How much they love them is typically one of those things. Make sure you tell my mom I love her. Make sure you tell my wife, soldiers on the battlefield many times. They want to make sure those last words are important. You know what Peter's last words were to you and I, to those that were precious to him, writing from a Roman jail? Grow. Grow. Please Grow. He could look back in his life and realize how he grew, how he goofed up along the way, how he missed it many times on the way. But he came to know Jesus Christ, and he realized by growing how important that was in his life. I can't tell you in my lifetime how many guys have come and told me, just personal fellowship, maybe in Bible studies, they said, hey, I wish I'd known this 20 years ago. I wish I'd known this 30 years ago. I wish I'd known this back then. It makes so much difference what I know now. How awesome that I know these things now. Why didn't I know them back then? God wants us to grow. I believe there's three main points I think we can see here in the possibility of growing. Point number one, the command to grow suggests the greatest possibility in the Christian life. Think about this. One of the greatest evidence of life in all the world is growth. If we're not growing, more than likely we're either dead or dying. 
The entire world exemplifies growth. Well, what is growth? Obviously, the verses here, Paul and Peter telling us to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But this, kind of, this is one of Peter's other writings. From the first epistle of Peter in verse 2, chapter 2, it says, As newborn babies desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted the Lord and he is gracious. What's Peter saying here? He's saying if you've tasted the Lord, if you understand who he is and what he did upon that cross and how he did it, forgive them for they know not what they do. He gave his life for you and I for the remission of sins, that I no longer have the sins that I've committed counted against me, that I can live in freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Liberty. Jesus Christ died upon that cross to give you and I life. Do I really understand that? And he's saying right here that, hey, because I've given it, I want you to grow in me. You know, begin drinking the milk as a little baby. Amy and I are just thrilled to death and having the time of our life with our new little grandson. We had him last night. You know what? Every time I see him, he's got a new little trick. His newest trick last night, you know what? You can go up to him and put your hand up and say, give me five. He puts his hand up. Give me five. Smartest kid I've ever seen. Is that, a, is that trait from a grandfather? Absolutely. But he's growing. You know, it, it, the other thing they started doing is feed him. And uh, my, my daughter is a phenomenal student of these things and talks to all kinds of people and reads all kinds of books and talks to many doctors. And so they decided instead of feeding him like we did our kids, you know, with a little spoon of the, the baby food that looks absolutely disgusting, here's, here's some... Here's some pureed liver. <laughs> that sounds delicious. Pureed peas, you know. But uh, what she does is breaks up a little piece of food and lets him feed himself as a little baby. And it's hilarious to watch because, as you know, about half of it lands on the floor and half it's still in his tray. Maybe a, a third of it ends up in his mouth. But he loves doing it. You know, you get two or three little peaches and one of them hits his mouth and two fall on the floor. But he has the time of his life doing that. I watched him the other day. I had lunch with Jillian. We fed him fruit first. That was probably a mistake. But then she gave him some cooked carrots. He was eating the fruit. He didn't have a good time. Eating. All of a sudden, she gave him a carrot. <laughs> didn't like the carrot. I said, I don't blame you, buddy. I like fruit better, too. But Jesus Christ is saying to grow. I don't want to belabor this. But you know, there's too much perpetual babyhood in the church today. Too much perpetual babyhood in the church today. Why? We're not growing. One of the classic comments, I'm not getting fed there. Well, I just explained to him, my eight-month-old baby feeds himself. So, you know, it's time to start feeding ourselves. There's right reasons to change churches. There's right reasons never to leave. There's no right reasons to ever leave the church. But if you feel like, you know, this church doesn't fit or, you know, it doesn't fit my kids or my family, then begin searching for another church and find that church. But we should never not be in church on a Sunday. Even if you're going to a different church every single Sunday trying to find where God would have you serve. But you need to find that church and be in church every single Sunday. That's just the bare minimum. That's the radical minimum standard for being a follower of Jesus Christ, to be in church every Sunday. And then there's all kinds of other things. We'll get into a couple of those things very quickly in a minute here. But there's two ways to grow. There's two ways to understand Jesus Christ. One of them is to have head knowledge, know things. The other thing, experientially. It's to have the experience of Jesus Christ. Let me give you an example. There's those people out there that know cars, man. They, they know cars. My son was one of them before he ever got his learner's permit. He knew cars. He knew every model. He knew which one he wanted. He knew the torque. He knew the size of the engine. He knew what kind of uh, power it had, how many horsepower. I mean, he knew everything. I think he even knew what kind of battery was best for these things. He knew all the things about the Bible. It was all head knowledge out of a book. 
That's knowing it from the head perspective. Knowing it from the experience is getting in the thing and turning the key and driving it. It's the same in our faith. We can know God's Word all day long. And I know people that know the Bible a lot better than I do. They can quote scriptures. They know the history. They've read all kinds of supporting data to kind of support these things and understand the period of time that the things took place in and understand what they're even wearing. You know, they, they know the Bible inside out. But there's no life to it because they're not living it. There seems to be a con- disconnect between their head and their heart and, and walking what they're saying in the Bible. They hear all these things. They can quote all these scriptures, quote all Jesus' commandments, and yet they're not doing it. And I don't think it's really a mean, a mean spirit. I don't think there's a, a meanness behind that doing it. They're just missing it. For some, they don't realize that that Bible can come alive when you begin doing it. We can know the Bible all day long, but until we come, begin doing it, we're not going to live it. We're not going to see God in a great way. We need to be moving forward in our faith. The Tartar tribe in Southeast Asia, ancient tribe there, still live kind of in the, in the uh, wilderness out there. But they have a curse that they hurl against their enemies. Listen to this. When they don't like somebody, when they're angry at somebody, they give them this curse. They say, may you stay in the same place forever. May you stay in the same place forever. That's kind of scary, isn't it? It's kind of a mean curse. I wouldn't want to have that curse against me. But you know, too many Christians today are there, staying in the same place forever. Our faith is not about how many. It's about how much. What does that mean, Pastor? It's not how many times we go to church. It's how much we're becoming like Jesus Christ, okay? Church is huge. You just heard me say it. We need to be in church every week. It's a fellowship to encourage each other, to get encouragement, to learn more about the Bible together. But we, we don't need to keep track of how many times I go to church. What we need to do is keep track of how much I'm growing. Am I a different person this week than I was last week because God showed me some neat things? Amy and I have a little code. We said a mystery moment. Did you have a mystery moment today? And typically, almost every time we ask that, one of us has had one that day. What does that mean? It means I saw something in God's Word today I'd never seen before. Or it had a new meaning. I saw it before, but it had a new meaning today. Are you having mystery moments? We're talking about getting to know Jesus Christ in an up-close and personal way. John Maxwell said this. And I love this quote. He said, and I think it's true. He said, you'll never change your life until you change something you do daily. Did you hear that? You'll never change your life until you change something you do every day. Maybe that's just get into your Bible more. Maybe it's to pray more. In 1996, Pastor Jack Hinton was famous for taking mission trips, short-term mission trips. He was an American pastor, had a church, but he loved going on mission trips. This particular mission trip, he went to Tobago. And his whole ministry there was to minister to a leper colony. And he ministered during the day and loved them, these people, and they took a number of doctors with them trying to treat these folks. But every night he'd have a service there, just right inside the, tobacco, right inside the leper colony. This one night, there was a lady about halfway back, and she was facing backwards. She was sitting in a chair backwards, wasn't facing forward. All of a sudden, the invitation was done, and she didn't come forward, but he said, hey, we got some time to sing some songs. He saw this lady back there turn around and face him, and he said it was the most hideous lady I'd ever seen. Her face was half gone. Her ears had been deteriorated off. She didn't have a nose, and she was looking right at him. Then he looked at her a couple times and was having a hard time looking at her because of all the hurt in her face. 
But she raised her hand. And he says, yes, ma'am. And she says, can we sing, count your many blessings? Pastor Hinton lost it. He was crying, sobbing emotionally, out of control. And he looked over at one of his assistants there and said, I've got to get off the stage right now. His assistant followed him off stage. Went back there and somebody else came up and led the music. Got back there and his assistant looked at him trying to console him. He says, well, you'll probably never sing that song again, will you? He said, oh, I sure will. But I'll never sing it the same way again. When we get out of our comfort zone, when we begin growing, we begin putting God's word to life in our life, we begin acting upon God's word, you know what? We're going to see things we've never seen before. And listen very carefully. It's going to change us for eternity. We'll never be the same again. We'll never sing that hymn again. We'll never sing that song again. We'll never minister to other people. We'll never think about people the same way. Because why? Because God changes it so we begin thinking like him. Begin understanding life from his perspective. There's too many followers of Jesus Christ that don't see this world like God does. All we need to do is spend time with them. We'll begin seeing this world like God does. It's putting ourselves in the position of God's transforming power. We need to get over the thought, truly, of I've accepted Christ. That's all there is. We need to move past the acceptance part and say, now what? Now what? God, I want to grow. Now, God, I've got you, God, now. Help me to grow. Help me to learn and be all you want me to be. The second command has to do with peril. The command to grow suggests the greatest peril in our lives. Verse 17 up there says, You therefore, talking about all the things that he's talked about before, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware. Beware lest you fall from your own steadfast, being led away with the error of the wicked. He's saying, If you're not growing, you're going backwards. Listen very carefully. When you're not growing, you're an easy target for the enemy to hit. Even a guy that's a bad marksman can hit you. Satan's a bad marksman, but when you're standing still, it makes it that much easier for him. And Satan wants you to be destroyed. Satan wants you to go backwards. If you have your Bibles, very quickly turn with me to Ephesians 4. As you're turning there, I want you to be reminded of the idea of insanity. The definition of insanity, one of them is to do the same thing every day, expecting something different to happen. But look at Ephesians 4 for a second. I want you to see this because I want you to kind of circle several thoughts here. Ephesians 4, verse 21, it says this, If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. What he's saying here, the Apostle Paul is saying here, If you know Jesus Christ, listen, if you know Jesus Christ, I have some advice for you. If you know Jesus Christ, you need to do this in your life to receive the riches of Christ. Then he goes on, verse 22, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitfulness. And he renewed, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind that you may put on the new man which is created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Remember that verse, okay? You want to grow? This is how we begin growing, by putting off the old man. God didn't save us that we get, uh, to drag that old evil, sinful person around the rest of our life. We need to drop them. You say, well, pastor, how come we don't drop them? How come it's so hard? I can tell you very easily, and it is hard. It's very hard to do. It's hard because we're comfortable there. It's hard because I personally like to do this. It's hard because I'm used to doing these things. It's the way I've always done things. Change, change, the same thing. It's hard to change. Why? Because I've always done it that way. I've always been this way. I'm comfortable the way we have it. 
But God's telling us you need to drop the old man. Don't need to carry the old man all along through my life here. We need to change the way we think. We need to change the way we behave. Ask God to give us that strength. But not only put down the old man, it's pick up the new man. We've all been made new creations in God. We've all been given a new nature. We're not the same people we used to be. God has given you and I an incredible new life. Live it. How do we live it? Begin growing in the new man as opposed to being getting, be getting better as the old man. Okay? That's the old man. This is the new man. How do we understand who the new man is? It's right here. I can tell you, as God is my witness, as a personal testimony, God changed me from the old man the more I got to know his word. The more I spent time in his word, he changed me. I'm going to tell you some of the most interesting ways he changed me. Why? I have to this. I was not a gentle person. I wasn't a calm person. You may remember when I told Amy I wanted to go to the ministry. What's the first thing she said? You've got to like people if you go to the ministry. Listen, I had a problem. I did. I, wasn't living. I had Jesus in my heart, but I wasn't living for him. Why? Because I didn't spend enough time in his word. I was more important reading trade magazines about restaurant ministry. Are you kidding me? What a waste of time. God desires to change us. He's telling us right here, and don't forget this when you want to grow, that the old man's gone. Stop staring in the rearview mirror. Begin looking out the front windshield of your car. You're not going to go anyplace fast. You're not going to grow focusing on the rearview mirror. It's looking out the front window and realizing God has an incredible way for you. Hey, the final thought here this morning. Three of them. Listen, the greatest possibility is to grow. God has given us. God gets us just the way we are, but he doesn't want us to stay that way. He wants us to grow. The greatest peril in our life is the fact that we don't grow as Christians. How come so many people join the church and leave? How come this church has over 1,200 people that say they're members, and on a typical Sunday we have four or 500 people here? How come? Where are they? It's so easy to fall off the wayside. You need to be intentional to grow. I've heard of so many people leaving the church, and all of a sudden horrible things happen. A lot of times they come back to church. A lot of times they blame God. But listen, just by growing doesn't mean you're precluded from having horrible things happen, but you know what? When you're growing, God gives you the confidence. God gives you the power. God gives you the spirit to walk through it with strength and hope. The third command is to grow reveals the greatest priority in the Christian life. It needs to be a priority in your life. Jesus Christ said, if you desire to come after me, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. That's how I said that's the, that's the essence of how you follow Jesus Christ, denying ourselves, getting out of the way. When Abby was in South Africa several years ago, she sent me this quote, and I love it. It says, all of us are on a journey through life. But it takes a kingdom journey to make us the person God wants us to be. We're all on a journey going through life. But not until we get on that kingdom journey and begin growing in that kingdom journey, until we begin walking with the Lord in a great way, are we going to truly become the man and the woman and the young person that God wants us to be. You know, Jesus and his teachings, many times you'll see it throughout the scripture. One of them is Matthew 14. But you'll see Jesus Christ finishing up one ministry and getting ready to move on to the next. And he'll look at his apostles and he said, Hey, meet me on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Go cross over. Go over there to the other side. Over and over you see that in the Bible. One particular case was Matthew 14. But when he was saying this, he was getting ready to teach them something. He's saying, Get over, go over on the other side because we've got another lesson coming. He didn't always say that, but there was always a lesson coming. Matthew 14 talks about the day he sent them over. They'd already, they just had a sermon about, sermon on the mount. They'd had a number of ministries going on. He'd healed a number of people. But now it's time to go to the other side. So he put them all in the boat and sent them over there. Jesus Christ walked up the hill there and prayed. The apostles made it about halfway across the sea. 
and the turbulent seas came up a little bit. wasn't, wasn't life-threatening, but it was kind of a t- temptuous sea. And all of a sudden, the apostles look out and say, hey, there's somebody walking on the water. And Peter noticed it first. He said, it's Jesus. He's walking on the water. Peter gets next to the edge and said, hey, Jesus, call to me. Call me to you, Jesus. He wanted to walk on water too. Jesus said, come to Peter. He got out of the boat. Started walking towards Jesus Christ, doing great. Peter's walking on water. Jesus Christ is walking on water. How amazing. You know, all the apostles are sitting there watching, sitting in the boat. Peter takes his eyes off of Jesus Christ, starts sinking. Jesus Christ walks over there, lifts him up out of the water. They both get back in the boat. But as Jesus and Peter are walking back to the boat, you'll notice in the scripture there, Matthew 14, that Jesus looks at Peter and says, Oh, you a little faith. Oh, you a little faith. They get back in the boat, and you know what all the apostles say? This surely was the Son of God. This surely is God. They worshipped him. They had a worship service in that boat that night. Jesus Christ was sending them across to the other side because he had another lesson to teach them. Jesus Christ was all about building their faith. Listen very carefully. It's time for you and I, the body of believers, to cross over to the other side because Jesus Christ has something else he wants us to learn. He wants to teach us something. It means getting out of your comfort zone. It means doing the things that God wants to have us to do. We all need to abandon our comfort zone. We really do. We can get so comfortable we settle for good instead of great. You know that book, Jim Collins' book, The Greatest Enemy of Good? The Greatest Enemy of Great is Good. We get settled in down there. We don't realize that God has more to do. Maybe we get older like the old pastor here, and we realize, hey, my, my life's kind of more spent than I got in front of me. Can you really use me, God? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, the apostles that night worshipped God in that boat. When we see God show up, when we see when we cross over the other side and we see something new in our life, you know, what do we do? We worship God. God is amazing. I had no idea this could happen. I had no idea God could use me like this or use me here. But we need to get out of our comfort zone. The second thing we need to do, these are three little things very quickly to go. Get out of our comfort zone. Number two, embrace our brokenness. Listen very carefully. We're all broken. Some more than others, but we're all broken. But God wants to use your brokenness to help others. God wants to use you in the midst of your brokenness. Why? Because you have a broken and contrite heart. I am broken. I'm damaged goods. But by the grace of God, God makes me whole. God makes me complete. God wants to take this broken life and do something. I lost that corporation years ago. I can tell you right now, if God is my witness, probably at least 20 men have come to talk to me over the years that have just lost a major job. They've been with a bank 25 years, and they just got laid off because the bank got called, uh, bought out. A number of men have lost their jobs or companies. Come to, come to minister and come to talk to me about it. They didn't know my story, but they began to tell me, Pastor, I'm so depressed. I don't want to get out of bed. I've been there. Pastor, I don't know if there's a future for me. I've been there. Pastor, I don't know what I can do right now. I've been there. God will use our brokenness in a powerful way to impact other people. We, we all have a story that's very unique. But it's amazing all the years I've heard people say, yeah, this lady came up to me and she told me her story. It was exactly like mine. I wonder how that happened. That because you have embraced your brokenness and given it to God, he'll use you to encourage other ones to come to God as well. The third thing we need to do here is, is depend upon God. We need to abandon our comfort zone, embrace our brokenness, and depend on God. I'll tell you this last little story and we'll be finished. A young fellow was standing alongside the road in a busy downtown city. He was on the corner there like he was waiting for something. So a man comes along and 
says, hey, son, uh, can I help you? Are you lost? And just about a 12 or 13-year-old young fellow in the middle of a very hustle-bustle, busy city. And the little boy looked at the man and said, no, I'm waiting for the bus. Well, this guy personally rode the bus, and he said, well, the bus stop's actually two blocks down that way. Why don't you come with me? He said, no, I'm just going to wait right here. You sure? The bus doesn't stop here. I'm just going to wait here. man walked off. Along came a woman. She said the same thing. And uh, before she walked away, the man had actually walked back and tried to, both of them tried to encourage this young fellow to walk down to the bus stop. If he went into the bus, he's down there. He said, no, I'm just going to wait right here. Ten minutes later, along comes the bus. And lo and behold, the bus stopped there where that young man was. Got on the bus. Got a seat on the bus. The bus pulls down the street, and uh, the man uh, that had tried to get him to move down the block with him was kind of encouraged and surprised. He stopped there, and the little boy was sitting right behind the bus driver. And the man said, I don't know how he stopped here, but it's amazing he did. The little boy looked at that man that was talking about that. He says, the bus driver is my dad. A lot of us feel like God doesn't know where we're at. A lot of us feel like, could God ever use little me? How, how can he use me in the midst of all these vast people that have so much gift, gift in this? I can tell you how he uses you, because he knows your name. Because he made you personally. Because he created you fearfully and wonderfully. Because he created you in his personal image. You're his child. Any more than any of us that have kids will not lose track of our kids. They may not live close to us, but we'll know where they're at. They're living in Tennessee or wherever it might be. We're going to keep tabs of our kids. And you know what? And because of our heart of hearts, we want to know how they're doing. We want them to do well. You know, I've talked to a number of people. Some of them just uh, saw a graduate today that, you know, it's, it's hard. It's hard to let go, like Pastor Scott said earlier. But you know, we do let go. Why? Because we know they're in God's hands. We're trusting God. God has an incredible plan for your life. What are you doing in the essence of growing to realize that plan in your life? What are you surrendering in your life? What are you desiring to do in your life to walk in greater obedience that you might see greater things from God's hands? It's an incredible opportunity that we have in God. God is knocking on the door of your heart. The question for you and I is, God waiting for me or am I waiting on God? I can tell you for most of it's God's waiting for us. He's waiting for us to say, hey, I'm all yours. Let's go. Let's grow.